From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Zach, how was your weekend? You know, pretty chill. It's, uh, you know, gearing up for a, you know, it's a weird week, right? Right, like, right. Holiday I think we week. have to kind of come clean that, like, the 3rd of July being a Monday is, like, it's probably the weirdest day for it to be, I guess. Uh, so, like, you know, my son has, like, summer camp today, which is nice, but not tomorrow, obviously. So it's, like, a very strange, everything is weird. But, you know, <laughs> it was a chill weekend that is sort of half feels over and also isn't over. It's, yeah, you know, it's just how we do. Yeah. Well, what have you been drinking? Good question. A few different things. Um, so I have had um, a couple of really interesting Italian wines of late. Uh, drank a, you know, an older bottle of Italian white wine, at least, well, you know, from what we think of as a white wine, a bottle of uh, Fiano d'Avellino, uh, 2015, from Terradora, uh, a variety from sort of the southern part of Italy in Campania that I do really enjoy with some age on it. That was just like a nice with a uh, roast chicken that I made the other day, and then nice. um, a bottle of Valtellina Superiore that is a uh, Nebbiolo but grown in Lombardy, not in Piedmont, mm-hmm. from uh, Tenuta Scarese, which was also really good. And then I had a taught a wine class recently about uh, the West Coast, uh, the whole dang thing, pretty much, <laughs> uh, which was kind of a fun topic. Although you know, kind of jump, you know, kind of kind of a lot of material to cover in a couple of hours, um, and taste a number of different wines from up and down the coast but i think for me actually probably the standout of all of them um and that's saying something was the um was a cabernet sauvignon from uh vocal vineyards which is in uh the santa cruz mountains Mm -hmm. and uh an appellation that i generally really enjoy uh even though i think it for sort of a northern coast of california appellation probably gets relatively little attention and certainly kind of setting aside um, the two most famous wineries in the region, which are Mount Eden and Ridge, um, not as much sort of bandwidth, but really good, like kind of fresher style of Cabernet Sauvignon, still like, you know, a Cabernet. It wasn't like, um, you know, it wasn't rosé, but it was mm-hmm. definitely a little lighter, a little nimbler and really well made. And that was that was super tasty, too. And obviously a lot of great wines in that flight. But um, that one, I think, you know, took people a little bit by surprise, which is also fun in these settings, right? You say, oh, important. A California Cabernet, and it is not what they expect. I always yeah. enjoy, you know, kind of confounding people a tiny bit in that regard. So, nice. how about you, Joanna? What have you been drinking? Yeah, I I've also had a few uh, great things recently. Um, we got a few beers from Arrowwood Farms in upstate New York, and had a, a delicious honey IPA called Petal Pusher and a brown ale called Black Sheep. And those okay. were good. I like a brown ale. Every now and and, mm-hmm. and again, um, and then also made a Manhattan riff. Uh, this okay. is a shout out to our friend John Hubble. Um, yeah, I we split the vermouth with um, maraschino liqueur, and that was really good. I think we called it the mother-in-law John's take on the mother-in-law. Um, so that was really fun. It's always fun to do riffs, cocktail riffs at home. Yeah, listen to our podcast about cocktail refs if you yes. uh, somehow missed that one. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, that's uh that that was this past week in cool. booze for me. Yeah. <laughs> um. We, so we, to... we need an update. Is the Borg gone? Did the Borg die? <laughs> the Borg is gone. Oh, the poor, Borg is pouring out for the Borg. Yeah, <laughs> I think there was a time where Evan was just like having having 
a Borg every night. Not a whole Borg, but like a cup yeah. of Borg. A head of the Borg. I mean? <laughs> a head of the Borg. And he's like, I need to, we need to get rid of this Borg. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was really taunting him. Um, so the yep. Borg is, the Borg is gone. But yeah, so for, no segue here, but for this week's um, topic that we're going to discuss today, um, ahead of the 4th of July, which is tomorrow, we wanted to talk about, you know, last year we talked about brands and branding with the American flag and, and kind of drinking for the 4th of July and what that means to us. And we kind of wanted to explore this idea in a different way around kind of patriotism and if if brands can be patriotic without being political. And obviously there's a number of things that have happened recently in the beverage alcohol space around brands kind of entering uh, the political discourse uh, inadvertently, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, this is kind of something we were pondering, something I was talking to Evan about as well, um, and just find it's really complicated um, and really fascinating. Yeah, well, kind of like our country. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think to me, the first thing that pops out is always that there's... you know, we, you and I are not political scientists. We're not politicians. We don't work in that field. And, and you know, we may have opinions. I think for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to try and kind of not get, you know, too kind of into my own personal politics as sure. much as I can here. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it is probably an inarguable statement that we live in times where political tensions and political sort of differences are heightened and highlighted and therefore i think it is sort of difficult for any almost any brand almost any whatever to remain sort of politically unpolitical and yeah <laughs> yeah to to remain you know being apolitical is a challenging act and again setting aside whether brands and companies should or should not be apolitical it's not really the point of the conversation no, uh, no. in this moment but i think as we have seen of late, you know, with the ongoing kind of roiling controversy at Bud Light, brands, you just, you don't know to what extent you're going to end up in the middle of a political maelstrom. <laughs> and that is true no matter kind of the way in which you present your product, the way in which you go about doing that. And I don't think that necessarily putting sort of patriotic imagery on your packaging or using it in your advertising inoculates you against that kind of criticism in a way that I think in the past it might have done so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also it's also valuable to kind of define how uh, what we mean by patriotic, I guess, Mm -hmm. in, in this conversation. You know, I think there is obviously american flag themed versions of your products um for holidays like the fourth of july or maybe it's just being proudly american made um or something like that so i think there are different kind of levels of demonstrating your patriotism as a brand that plays into this conversation as well for sure and i think you know that's the that is one of the challenges for sure right now which is like yeah is patriotism as we are describing it or as people interact with it, something that is about just the symbols and sort of iconography of America, specifically like, yeah, red, white, and blue, stars and stripes, that kind of thing, which, you know, are 
easy for any brand to slap on their packaging without any real like you don't have to pass a test to be able to do that in any kind of way. I mean, it might ring somewhat untrue to some of your consumer base. I think that second piece that you talked about, right? Like the way in which brands might not just use branding, but actually, you know, sort of live what they're proclaiming mm-hmm. is is where I think you and I would both probably agree that like if you want to be patriotic in a meaningful way, you know, that's kind of what a part of the conversation has to be, right? It has to be about, you know, more than just, you know, the sort of packaging, I guess. Yeah. Like I was trying to think of brands in the drink space that are patriotic. And the one that kind of first came to mind was Tito's. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, they're so Texan. And um, that's like their whole thing and like handmade, handmade in Texas. And and when I was talking to Evan about it this morning, like I think that is like proudly made in America is part of their brand. But if they were to kind of do something similar, but I but I don't think it's just sorry, (laughs) this gets very complicated to talk about. Yeah, it is a little messy. Right. So I think they're patriotic but i don't think they're necessarily political mm-hmm. however i think that if they were to do some social media marketing which we saw with bud light on one side or the other that there's there would be a vocal uh, like <laughs> a vocal opposition yeah would express dismay do you know what i mean yeah well and the I brand think wouldn't necessarily uh know what to do like uh, it would kind of be unwitting for the brand yes well i think there's this is sort of of two pieces one is that i think there are lots of products and i was thinking a lot about the bourbon industry more broadly of course as being something that is like obviously by its very definition an american product yeah made from you know made in america from american raw materials in american oak barrels like it is an american product through and through and yeah i think it's true that for the most part and maybe just because of that you don't see a lot of bourbon producers like as aggressively wrapping themselves in the american flag or the imagery of it in the way that like you know a lot of beer companies do sure and i think some of that is in a way bourbon's kind of unique position and uniqueness as a product wherein it isn't facing competition from in the same way from you know overseas production from craft production you know there isn't a insecurity i guess that comes with that i think sometimes comes through in the kind of like budweiser americana can i think sometimes scans is a little bit like please buy us you know like yeah buy us because you like because you you, love america yeah and because like you want it to be like the thing in your picture for the fourth of july because it says america on it or whatever not because like you really believe in the product. And I think that, I mean, mm. look, in some sense, that kind of like <laughs> holiday seasonal packaging is like not unique to the 4th of July and not unique to these products. Like brands will put things in whatever packaging they think will sell product yeah. in a given time of the year. And whether that's, you know, Christmas themed or Earth Day themed or whatever, who cares? <laughs> 
send us your Earth Day themed beer, by the way, please. But I do think that this is the piece that I think is really important to get to, which is that when you are, well, there are two things, actually. One of them is that when you are overt about your, let's say, public patriotism. Yeah. And then you, like, you you just have, it's much harder to fall back to some other position, right? Like, I think that is a challenging, like, that is challenging for any brand, whether it's beverage alcohol or not. Well, and it's, it's I, only challenging because patriotism in the United States right now is very political. Yeah, I guess that's really <laughs> the point, right? Like yeah. that is a bigger market force here, which is like when we say patriotism, I mean, I don't think we're talking, you know, I don't think we're like going to blow anyone's mind by saying that like there is a a side of the political spectrum that views patriotism as their, you know, sole purvey. And yeah. maybe isn't all that heavily contested on that point by the other side. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. But I do think that that, you know, in a way that like, again, I don't, this is like, I'm uncomfortable going here because I don't really feel like I'm the right person to say this as a like historian. Mm -hmm. But I think that like the way that these, that Americans as a whole have related to the concept of patriotism has changed a lot over our lifetimes. Yeah. Um, And I think that in a way where like an American flag themed or branded product 30 years ago, 25 years ago, might have just been like, oh, okay, that's like a thing for the 4th of July in the same vein as like one theme for Christmas or Easter or, you know, whatever uh, other holiday, Halloween, etc. And now in a way, the there is more. Yeah, it's more politically charged to just do that. And I think a lot of these brands maybe haven't totally grappled with that reality. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I think ultimately, and what, what I was just kind of like, all these brands care, care about our sales, right? Yeah. And I just think that the in, kind of increased vi- visibility with social media and all these other things that is so different from how it was 10 or 20 years ago is just like, has to be another factor in how you're marketing your brand like you it it will impact (laughs) it will impact um your success as a brand one way or or the other you know yeah well and i think the last thing or a thing i wanted to say here too and i think it's kind of become clear to me in this conversation is that there is also the challenge of everything that brands do is public in a way that you know, mostly through social media, so that you can't really, you can't really have a a disparate, distinct messaging sort yeah. of approach in different venues, whether that's different physical locations or different channels that you're trying to go through. All of this stuff becomes very widely distributed or can be, especially if it's even vaguely controversial. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, you know, again, to, to come back to the thing I said at the beginning, you know, I'm not here, we're not, I don't think here particularly to say, okay, here's what's politically, you know, here's what's right and wrong. But I think, again, we are just in a period where anything that has even a hint of being aimed at or geared towards or, or you know, whatever, aligned with a political viewpoint is much more apt to get seen, to get traction and to get blowback. And I don't really know. I mean, I don't have a great answer for brands. I mean, I think that I think one way for brands to do it is just to be very to to stake out a position wherever they are and say, you know, 
we are we are political. We're not trying to be unpolitical in a sense. And brands that do that and do that well can be very successful. There's, you know, it's a big country. There's a large audience for on both sides of the political spectrum for lots of product. I think where you are seeing brands get in trouble is when they try to be both enormous and apolitical. Because <laughs> even if you because again, the other piece of this is like now, especially, even if you are outwardly facing you know, sort of apolitical in an outward facing way, you know, we, people can look at what your CEO, who your CEO is donating to politically, who your board of directors is donating yeah. to politically. And that sort of thing becomes public too. What, where you're advertising, you know, what, what sorts of publications, programming, et cetera, you're advertising for. And like, you know, I think as a broader societal moment, there's good and bad to that. But I do think that it's important for brands, again, to recognize that you can't, that material, that information is going is largely going to become is or will become public, yeah. and when it especially flies contrary to espoused values and beliefs that the company is setting forward, the brand is setting forward, that's where you I think get yourself in trouble potentially. Yeah, I mean it's also like consumers are going to hold you to it now, and I think yes. that that has changed probably from the past couple of decades, and also you know you can't have like standalone marketing campaigns anymore because brands are kind of building an ethos uh, for themselves. And that's something that people as consumers buy into. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's like, maybe you're going to put out, <laughs> you have to be careful if you're going to put out a pride product and then also mm -hmm. put out a American flag product um, and what that says about your brand um, because unfortunately, it says a lot about your brand, and people are watching and will hold you to it. Yeah, and and not just will sort of hold you to it, but will then sort of look at the sum total of your brand's, you know, kind of actions and look for, you know, in some cases, frankly, things to get upset inconsistencies. about. Inconsistencies. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. and I think like you know, we live in a culture where there's a lot of you know, a lot of searching for things to get mad about online mm -hmm. um, and sometimes in real life. And we also live in a drinks culture that is in flux and has a lot of options. And some of these other, some of these brands that again have largely succeeded by being enormous and well-established and feel like they are very entrenched, maybe finding out or may find out that like that is nothing lasts forever. Nothing is untouchable and w one of the fastest ways or one of the sort of simplest ways to get yourself in trouble as a brand is to alienate a section of your consumer, consumer base. base and there are lots of ways to do that they're, they're not all political to be clear just that is one way to do it because <laughs> politics is something that people hold very you know have strong feelings about mostly rightly and take very seriously in a lot of cases and you know again it's just i think you know to come back to the point i made before i think some of these brands are just unaware or refuse to acknowledge the way in which the political landscape of this country has changed over the last however many years and that there's just less there's less room to sort of you know candidly to be like oh we're just we're the beer for everyone or we're the the yeah. wine for everyone or we we're the spirit together. for everyone like yeah, yeah. that is just a hard that's a hard fence to sit on forever yeah. Unless, of course, you just want to be that very, very political product, like ultra-right beer. Conservative yeah, well, dad's ultra-right beer. 
<laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, right? Is like I think there are there there's a scale issue at some point, right? Like, you know, you can be really successful in a marketplace, especially in a place where maybe you are very directly appealing to a specific group. I mean, you know, there are it's not even just on the right wing. I think there are products that are very specifically targeting, you know, people on the left in in every way. They're with their you know, who their founders are and what their product is and how it's being marketed. And like, that is viable business strategy for mm-hmm. sure. You just need yeah. to be clear about it. I think that's where you get yourself in trouble is when you yeah. end up for one way or another, intentionally or not, sort of putting yourself in a political moment without knowing it and without sort of being able to back it up. And I think, again, to come back to the thing i said before like no amount of american flag imagery can save you yeah well happy fourth of july everyone yes be safe please (laughs) let us know what you think um your comments are always really um wonderful to receive and we appreciate them podcasts at vinepair.com and zach have a wonderful holiday and i'll talk to you friday sounds great Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair podcast network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.